0: I'm going to read several scriptures this morning, and this is really a little bit unique of me. Um, I I guess in the way I feel like the Spirit of the Lord is on me to preach this. Um, But I want to talk to you something that is really burdened in my heart, and I've been burdened with this for a few weeks. I'd even talked to a few people about it, and then Andrew um, preached last Sunday. Pastor Andrew did an incredible job. His message was amazing. Um, just about church unity and, and, and the necessity for us to be in unity. And it was really, really good. Um, and then Wednesday night, Tanya gives a word in our church service. It's a very prophetic word. And it was about how Satan just desires to come in to create disunity and to create division. I'm not saying that because there is a problem here. I like to be preventative and uh, keep that from ever happening, um, which you can never successfully do, you know, but I like to try. Um, but Tanya gave us that word about how the devil seeks opportunity to create division and strife and so forth. And so when Tanya gave that word, and then I was just praying, it was like, I really need to minister this in, that's in my spirit to minister to tonight or today to you guys. And the question that I just want to lay out, and, and, and please don't let this offend you right off the bat, all right? Just hear me through as, as we get through this message today. And I pray that the Holy Ghost steps all over your toes. And I really do. I pray that there is conviction from the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives not for your wife not for your husband not for your but for you for me you pray that for me because i desperately need to hear this again what the holy spirit has been speaking to me about so the first thing i'm going to say and please just receive it and think about it before you just shut me off and it's and it's this why can't you just forgive why can't you do it? Our, our, our lives and Christians today are so full of unforgiveness. There's so much bitterness. There's so much offense that Christians are carrying in their life that it oozes out of them. Us, me. I don't want to exclude myself from that, all right? I'm not, this is higher, but I'm not, I don't like, The height looking down. I I, I like being with you. But um, I'm with you on this. Okay. Because I deal with an unforgiving heart myself. And thank God for the grace of God. And the Holy Spirit. Who gives us a a heart that can forgive. And can love. But the question I want to leave you right now is. Why can you not forgive? Why don't you do it? Like the Bible tells us to do it. Why, Why is that? And. I know there are many reasons, and I'm not here to exhaust this study this morning. I just, a few things that God has put in my heart. And the first scripture that I want to read is in 2 Timothy 3. And I would like for you to read this with me. It's very important. Please go to these scriptures. I only have a few. And then a few more. So, just look at this with me in 2 Timothy 3. And I'll tell you where we're going in the Bible so you can get it ready. 2 Timothy 3. Romans 15 1 Corinthians 6 2 Corinthians 5 maybe Luke 22 and 1 John 4 and, and look something we're going to do something in the message today and, and in this message not right now but in a moment in the message the ushers are going to come while I'm speaking and they're going to serve you communion I want you to just hold it don't spill it don't make a design on the new carpet our chairs, but just hold it and we're going to take it together um, at the end of this. So, so just be patient for that. 2 Timothy 3. Why don't you just forgive? Christian. This know also. That in the last days. Perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, covenant breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now, I have to qualify this because this is not talking about the world. This is talking about the church. This is talking about the last day's church. I mean, honestly, if you were to read about any generation of men on the earth, that's the way they lived. God had to judge the world in Noah's day because that's the way it lived. God judged Rome because that's the way it lived. God's judging America because that's the way it lives. The surprise is not that men do this. The surprise is that the church will be doing this. The surprise is that Christians will behave this way. So when I ask the question, why don't you just forgive? Then I believe one of the answers is, is because It's very possible you could be under the weight and the pressure and the spirit of the enemy in the last days, on the last days church, which in this listing of things that you find in in Christians, there's not a lot of room for forgiveness. There's not a lot of room for compassion. There's not a lot of room for disagreements. There's not a lot of room for healing. There's not a lot of room for a person to say, Hey, I made a mistake. Forgive me. No, can't do it. I can't forgive. Can't do it. It's just not gonna happen. I know that I should. I know the Bible tells me I need to, but I'm just not gonna do it. And so what does that lead to? I mean, it obviously leads to covenant breakers, marriages end, because a spouse cannot forgive another spouse and They're not going to work on it, they're not going to deal with it, or friendships end, or relationships end, or churches end because of that. And so I would say or suggest that one of the reasons why in the last days Christians are not forgiving is because we were warned that there would be this character in the church in the last days. I just want you to think about that because I think it's very serious. Now, I'm not necessarily referring to believers when I say this. I have been using the word Christian because this is the way I believe there will be in the church Christians by name, but not by reality. Because I believe believers will forgive. I believe believers should forgive. I believe believers do forgive if there's God that lives in their life so what's the problem here in 2 Timothy 3? It's revealed in verses 5 and 6, or primarily verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So the reason you're going to see this characteristic in the last day's church Of lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God and fierce and continent and fighters and brawlers and all of these types of things is because the church will probably be overwhelmed with a lot of good intentioned people who want to look godly. I really want to look moral. I I, I really want, I I believe this end of the world thing. I believe in heaven. I believe in hell. I believe that God exists. I believe that Jesus is God's son. And if there's any religion out there, any faith out there, any person to put my hope in, well then, good night, it's got to be Jesus. I'm not going to follow Allah or, or, or Muhammad or Buddha. I mean, Jesus is the one. And so we become Christian in doctrine, but we're denying the power of it. And so we have a form of godliness, but a form of godliness will not forgive. And a form of godliness will not reconcile. And a form of godliness will destroy, and it will be destructive. Even in the house of God, it is going to be that. And, um, and so I think it's very serious. You know, there's a passage in the book of Proverbs, and it, and it goes something like this. It says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And a lot of, you know, these... Word of faith type teachings want to take that and twist it and say, okay, think you're a professional basketball player. Think that you're seven feet tall. Think you're the next Shaquille O'Neal. Just think it, think it, think it, and so shall you be. That's ridiculous, all right? Think that you're a millionaire. Just think that you're a man. You're going to be a millionaire, you know, because you're going to put God under some kind of faith law, and God's, no, God's not under any law. God is himself. He is the power. Faith is not the power. God is the power. Faith believes God, and so this is garbage, all right? So, we're not going there, but the the fact of the scripture, what Proverbs is saying is that a person comes up to you and a person greets you and they have a smile on their face and they stick their hand out for you to shake their hand. It doesn't necessarily mean that they like you as they think in themselves. So are they. And so, you know what I'm talking? Some of you kind of giggle because, you know, you've had a lot of people hug you that hate you. You've had a lot of people extend their hand out to shake your hand. And inwardly, they're plotting. How can I destroy you? Get out of my face. I can't believe I ran into you at the store. I never want to see you again in my life. Oh, I'm so good. How are you? Are you good? I'm so glad you're doing well. I hate you. I can't stand you. You know, I don't want anything to do with you. I just want to separate my life. You're a fake. You're a hypocrite. You're an imposter. All of these things that I think about you in my heart. And so, why do we even do that? Why do do we play that game? Why do we fake forgiving when we actually can forgive? Why fake it? Why play the game? Why put our arms around each other and just say, hey, it's so good to see you. But maybe inside it's really not good. And I'm not saying, you know, just go ahead the other way and just, you know, like be be somebody up in age with a, a, not a lot of forethought and just, you know, say, I can't stand you. I don't want to see you. You need to go to another church because I just don't like, and I'm not talking about that either. I'm not talking about being that kind of honest, right? And there are people that do that. You know, some, somebody has been out of church for a long time and, and, and maybe they start coming back to church and you've got some good intention person. Where have you been backslidden? Well, I can't wait to come back to the next service felt so warmly welcomed here. You know, no, I mean, I mean, it's, it's like there's got to be respect and there's got to be tact in the way that we treat each other. When I say that, why play the game of, of acting like we have forgiven each other when we really can forgive each other and it can be real and it can be healthy and it can be healing and it can defeat the devil and it can glorify God. Why can't we do that? Have the real power of God inside of us. So I just don't have this form of godliness, but but God is really in me and And when God is really in you, it doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes. and It it doesn't mean that you're not the one that offends people. It doesn't mean that you never gossip. It doesn't mean that you never slander. It doesn't mean that you've never done anything wrong. It means that when you do, as a believer, the Christ in you who never makes a mistake is going to convict you. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to do what you can to make it right. And so... I want you to understand that. So why why don't we forgive? We can. If we're believers, we can. So why don't we forgive? We're not the people with the form of godliness, right? I pray not. If and if, And if you feel like you are, then get God in you. Because the power of God is God. So get God in you. And all of the ability and the help of the Lord will be there. So Romans 15, if you will, let's go there. Let's look at this. In Romans 15, um, there's just something here about Jesus I want you to see. Because he's our example. Romans 15, verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities... Of the weak. And not to please ourselves. So there are some people. In the house of God. That are true believers. But they're weak. And they're not strong. They're not very mature. They could be newly saved. They could have gone through. A tumultuous issue. And a a situation in their life where they have been set back and greatly weakened it doesn't mean they're not a believer because they're not forgiving right now they're just in a season of weakness and so what should those that are strong they should come around them and they should say you know what i'm not interested in pleasing myself i'm interested in helping you i'm interested in what i can do to bring a, a pleasure in your life in regards to your relationship with god it's it's not a selfish attitude it's a selfless attitude and he says if if you go on i just want to ask you to underscore that not to please ourselves now that's crazy to the world that's certainly crazy to the people in second timothy 3 because they have no pleasure in god or other people only in themselves let every one of us now it's not just the strong right because truly Even in our weakness, he's strong. So now it's let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Why can't we do that? Again, I'm not, I know the question insinuates that you don't. But can I say it that way, please? And I'm not trying to say that to single you out. But I just want to say it in regards to Christendom as oftentimes it might be experienced. Why don't we live where everyone is seeking to please his neighbor for his good and to edification? If you would, then one of the first things on your mind today, one of the first things on your mind today going to church is not what you're going to wear. But how is the Spirit of God going to move through my life? Because the gifts of the spirit are in me and the gifts of the spirit are in me to profit everyone. And so if I really want to be a selfless person and I want to fulfill verses two where I want to live my life to please my neighbor and to edify them for his good. Then I, I have the opportunity to go to church today full, in the, full of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the spirit. I want them to operate through my life because they will profit everybody. That's going to be one of the first things we're thinking about. If we want to do, because we can't do anything apart from the Holy Spirit. So the question is, why don't we do that? We're more concerned about what we're going to wear and what we're going to look like. And I wonder what songs they're going to sing. Today. I hope they sing a song of light. And, and all of these things, you know, that, that we might think about. Or I hope he gets through early or no or something. Can we pray for LSU tonight? You know, all these other things we think about. And then it says this of all people who could live for their own pleasure, because he's God, even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached you fell on me. And I, this is important. I'm talking about forgiveness. And so we're looking at Jesus for just a second about this forgiveness. It says, for even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches. And this is what that word means. That Jesus suffered for the cause of God from the enemies of God. Jesus suffered for the cause of God from the enemies of God. Now, now listen, that's, the ex- that, that's drastic, right? I mean, that, that's like the extreme. Suffering from those who hate God. And I'm just simply talking about when we suffer among a family that loves God. If Jesus could bear the suffering for God of the enemies of God, then how much more should we bear the suffering for God from those who love God? Because we all mess up. There's not a given day or week in my life when I'm not upset with something that I've done. And the same is true of you. And so it's this ability to understand the example that we have of Jesus. And then it goes on to say this. And it says that the reproaches of them that reproached. And that word reproached means this. It's different. It means to defame, to rail, to chide, to taunt. The, the, The picture of this that Jesus was suffering is to cast in their teeth. So that they might suffer painfully. That they might be reviled. That they they might be abraded, And Jesus said all of that fell on me. When? When did that fall on me? Not when it was enough for them to strip me naked and beat me with a whip. 39 times. Not when they put a crown of thorns on my head and beat it into my skull not when they had me take a cross, a wooden splintered cross and carry it through the streets of Jerusalem with my back that's been ripped open and the bones exposed. It wasn't then. It was when they nailed me on the cross. That's when they gathered around my cross and bit their teeth into me with their accusations and their railing and their despising of me. That's when they did it to me. And you know what I did? I suffered it for God, for them. So, why can't we forgive? Immediately, we start excusing ourselves. Immediately. And sometimes with the slightest excuse, well, I'm not God. Jesus is so different. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. That's the way religious people talk. I'm not talking about religious people who have the form of God. I'm talking about those of us that have the power of God in us. I'm talking about those of us who have that Jesus who died on the cross for his father. And they bit into him with their accusations. Came and lives inside of you. Why can't we let him live? And bring forgiveness, mercy, kindness, healing. All of these things that the Lord would desire to do. That's not to excuse the situation that you've suffered. It's not to say or suggest that there wasn't great damage done to you. I'm by no means insinuating that the pain was not real. Or that the hurt was not real. Or the betrayal was not costly. I'm not saying that the abuse was not real. Please understand that. And I'm not saying that the oversight, the neglect, was right. People should have noticed. People should have done something. You were overlooked. I'm not saying that the remark that somebody made about you was undeserved. I'm not saying it was deserved. You could have been absolutely, completely, and totally in the right. No doubt about it. But shouldn't you and I as a Christian just bear it? Shouldn't we just bear it? And that's the next scripture. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I know this is not that feel-good message everybody loves, but I, I pray it's not. I pray it cuts. First Corinthians six six Brother goes to law with brother before unbelievers. Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you. Something is wrong with you because you go to law one with another why don't you just take the wrong right that's what he says I'm reading it I paraphrased it in my new least standard version the King James says why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded why do you not rather take the wrong why not so in a way Honestly, guys, Paul's kind of asking the same question to the Corinthians. Why don't you just forgive? And these are the words that Paul uses there because you need to understand them. Why do you not rather take the wrong? The word wrong there means this the unjust and the wicked act. That means intentional. The painful hurt. The painful hurt that was done to you. You're suffering from something that was done with an intention to hurt you. That's what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about an accident. He's not talking about a misunderstanding in the Corinth. He's talking about something was done to you with the intention of inflicting pain upon your life. So much so that you feel like you've got a case against them and you're going to go to court because you believe you can win. You know you're right. You can win. And Paul says, come on. This is your brother. Just take it. Just, he throws this word out there. And honestly, Everything about me that's not the power of God revolts against this statement. Only God's life that is with me can accept this. Everything else about leadership is like, this is just categorically wrong. Just be defrauded. What a strong word. Just take it and be defrauded. Now Lee just backs up and says, that's too far. That's too much. There's no way. And I'm right. I'm completely right. I can go to court with lost people and win this thing. And so this word about being wronged is important for us to understand. Because in the context of this, it is the unjust and the wicked act, the intent to inflict pain And hurt and wrong to you. And so he says. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you. Because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take the wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves. To be defrauded. The word defrauded means this. Violently robbed. Something taken from you. That cannot be replaced. It's done it happened. The, the gift, if you've ever tried to open up something from a box and tried to put it back in there, it's not going back in. Why don't you just be defrauded? Why don't you just allow yourself to be violently robbed? Why don't you allow your character to be defamed? Why don't you just allow them to say these things and just take it for God's sake for the church's sake now there's a condition in this there's something very important you got to go to in order for you to handle something like this because if you're like me this is really too heavy to bear and 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 you might be thinking okay uh Christianity's great for you guys I don't think I can do this I'm out of here that's just too much I get it it would be too much if there was not a God who is a judge. It would be too much if there's not a God who was not righteous and who did not intervene in the affairs of man to make unjust things just and things that are wrong, right? Then I get it. Yes, absolutely. But you see, we're believers. And so we know that there is a God who's going to deal with an injustice. And this is what Paul goes on to say to the Corinthians. And I I really want you to read this because he's making a point about the unrighteous not inheriting the kingdom of God. He says, he he actually says this to the Corinthians in verse 9. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I mean, if there are people literally violently robbing you and defrauding you and defaming you, Listen, you can go to the world and have judges in the world make a decision and punish that person. But let me tell you, there's a greater judge and there's a more real punishment. Leave it in the hands of God. They're not going to get away with it. If they are so unrighteous, they want to call themselves Christians. They want to call themselves brothers. But they're going to rob and defame and tear apart a person's life. Then if they're not saved, God's going to judge them. And then he goes on and he says this, which I think is absolutely remarkable, that there are those who are truly wrong. There are those who are deceivers. And he even admits it to this church. There are others who would rob and not inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to get away with it. And then furthermore, what right do you have who's been robbed to inherit God's kingdom because you were defrauded As Jesus was. And you can't forgive. What right. Those defrauding you are only doing the kinds of things you and I did. By a miracle from God. Something changed our lives. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. By the spirit of God. That's what he goes on to say. So let's read it. Verse 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I'll tell you what. Before we get to verse 9, look at verse 8. He says, why don't you take it? Why don't you allow yourself to be defrauded? Why? Why not? Why don't you do this? Because verse 8, you do wrong. You defraud even your own brother. You do it. Do you really want justice? Do you really want it? Or do you want mercy? Because you and I do the same thing. I'm guilty of doing things that I accuse other people of doing. I do it myself. Therefore, I want to have mercy. And I want to do, if, if, if there's something that I have to move myself into. And, in some type of situation with, with my family member or, or somebody, a friend or somebody I worship with. I want to be very, very careful that at, at the end of the day, it will be profitable. N- n- not to inflict pain. But but it would edify the body of Christ and be profitable. And so he says, The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. We were the same way. And we listen, it's very simple because what he what he's trying to bring us to is not a new thought. He's trying to bring us back to the point. Why don't you take it and allow yourself to be defrauded? Because honestly, you did not get what you deserved from God. You did not deserve to be saved. You did not deserve to go to heaven. You did not deserve to be justified. You did not deserve to be sanctified. You did not deserve to be made righteous. But God, by His Spirit, because He loves you, did it for you. So why don't you take on the same character Of the God that you love and the God that's treated you so well because instead of devastation and destruction and carnage that would be the reputation of the church of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years. There would be restoration and healing and deliverance and grace and an explosion of people wanting to know who this Jesus Christ is because of the dynamic love you don't see in the world. But when Christians act and behave like the world acts and behaves, then what's so different about Jesus Christ? Well, everything's different about him. It's just a shame when the believers of Jesus don't line up with Jesus. And when we don't line up with Jesus, that we would quickly admit that and repent of that and be right with God. Because none of us line up perfectly with Jesus. He's perfect. And so I just say, you know, to... Have a Gethsemane if you need to. Seriously, I've learned to have many of them where I think I've been treated unfairly and abused and forsaken and rejected and mocked and scorned and my character slandered and I feel like I've become well acquainted with Gethsemane. the place where I can cry. A place where I can go to God and say, it's not right. I don't like it. It hurts. Is there another way? And then, listen to me carefully. Get up from your Gethsemane. And don't take it with you. But walk out like a soldier. And not as a victim, but as a servant. Go to the cross and be an offering for God. And you will know the resurrection of God. But try to put them on the cross with you. And you will not know God's resurrection. Nor the resurrection of your character or your ministry or your anointing. You will die with them. Instead of rise with him. I want the ushers to come and begin to serve the communion. And I want to, I'm not finished. They're just coming to serve you communion. I do want to read Second Corinthians 5. We're very close to that. Just turn over a few pages. And I'm going to ask y'all, please do everything you can to be attentive to what I'm about to read to you. Please. I know it would be a little distracting for the ushers to come and do this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. There's only one good person among us. Only one who never offended God or man. And he died for everybody. When they were sinking their teeth of accusation and reproach into him. He was dying for them. I want to do that when I read something on Facebook that somebody's trying to tar and feather me. I want to to be able to suffer for them. I don't want to fight to be understood. I don't want to fight for somebody to know the real me. If I feel like a fake or false me is being presented to you. Oh, wait a minute. Let me tell you who I really am. If I need to do that, we're not friends anyway. Right? Are you with me? Verse 15. And that he died for all. That they which live should not henceforth or from now on live to themselves. But to him which died for them and rose again. So you're not to live for yourself. It kind of brings us back to that part where, hey, let the strong bear the infirmity of the weak. And, and, and honestly, all of us should prefer our brother and exhort them and help them in their faith. That, that's what we should be all about. That's what we should be all about. That kind of person that that lives in the body, who's been hurt and wounded and abused, and they have every right to leave church. They have every right to quit. But they don't. And they don't go to church to make some bogus or difficult statement or protest against the people. But actually they go in there and they just absolutely love everyone and serve everyone and they're opening the door for the people and they're picking up after them and they're saying, hey, would you like my seat? Uh, What can I do? It's raining outside. Let me grab the umbrella and let me help you get into church without getting wet. And it's that, and, and, and people that know said, I don't understand them. They have been so hurt. They have been so wounded. They have suffered so much. And the more you hit them, the more they keep loving. Wouldn't you like to be that person? That's the Christ in you. You can be that person. That's the Jesus in you. And so he says in verse 16, and I need one too, please. He says, unless there's not enough. If I get the last one, I'll share it with the person that didn't get it. I'll drink the first half though. I don't like drinking after people. <laughs> okay, I will prefer you. Jeff Lee needs to tell you about a trip we had in Ireland. No, it was in Wales. Oh my gosh! Ask Jeff to tell you about the time we took communion together in a church in Wales. All right, where are we? Verse sixteen it says, "Wherefore henceforth no we no man after the flesh." Wow. Why don't we do that? Because all we ever do is relate to people after the flesh. Well, they're rude. They're not kind. They don't have time for me, you know, or they're insignificant and they're not important enough for me. We're constantly judging each other by the flesh. Somebody's attitude, somebody's demeanor, somebody's faults. But he says, listen, Jesus died for all of us. So that we would no longer live for ourselves, but we would live for him who rose again. So now we know no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who is reconciled to uh, us, to himself by Jesus Christ And had Listen, this is it. And has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you know why Christianity is not exploding around the world like it should? It's got nothing to do with Jesus not being beautiful. It's that we're, listen to me. We're so busy with the ministry of reconciliation to those who don't know God. That we have missed the reconciliation of those that do know God. We have allowed our relationships in the church to fall apart because of offenses and hurts and wounds to where we don't talk to each other anymore. We don't want anything to do with each other anymore. And then we want to go out there in the world and bring somebody to Jesus and bring them into this kind of stuff. No way. People aren't stupid. No way. They're, They're not about to do that. So God gives us the ministry of reconciliation. What is he talking about? He's talking about us. When he says no longer do we know anyone by the flesh, he's not talking about lost people. He's talking about saved people. Because lost people are not new creations in Jesus Christ. Only saved people are new creations in Jesus Christ. And you know what that means? That means that when I live with you and I relate with you and I worship with you and I walk with you, guess what? You're going to see some ugly things in Lee Ship, and I'm going to see some ugly things in Keith Babbin. But you know what else I see? I don't see him in the flesh. I see him as God saved him to be. I see him conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I see a man in whom God lives. And if there's something that goes faulty with his life, I want to love him and help him and God the Holy Ghost can help him and he's going to be like Jesus Christ one day and I want to help you be that, that, that that's, that's the way we would relate to each other right I don't want to just look in the flesh at who this person is I want to see in the spirit that's the new creation of God they're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and God has given me the ministry of reconciliation I can forgive I can admit I'm wrong Not as quickly as I should, not as pleasantly as I should, but I will get better as I'm more and more conformed to his image. And so can you, because we're given this ministry of reconciliation. That's our ministry. So who cares who you raised from the dead or who is healed from cancer because you touched them? Big deal. You didn't do it. God did it. But what you can do, what I can do or not do is forgive. And be kind. I have the choice to take it. I have the choice. You know what? I wasn't treated right. But it's okay. God's the judge. And I'm going to love. And serve. And give. And heal. And do everything that I can possibly do. In the power of God's spirit. And I'm just going to take it. And I'm not going to defend myself. And I'm not going to open my mouth. And I'm not going to try to say how right I am. And how good I am. And how wonderful I am. And you know, try to get a group of people to follow me. I'm not going to do that because it's not about me. It's about the church. It's not about how you look at me. It's, it's about how the world looks at the people of God. The church is for God's sake. So I just close with this. this was something really fresh that God's been speaking to me about. And some of you have heard it twice. Some of you haven't heard it at all. So you'll hear it now. Jesus looked forward to having a meal with his disciples. And it was what we call the Lord's Supper. It was a meal. It wasn't like this. But it was a meal and it was a Passover meal. Disciples didn't understand it completely. But they were there with Jesus. And they, the disciples, were in a bad way. Really, really bad way. Because you see, they were fighting with each other. They say, I'm better than Marshall. Marshall, oh no, I'm better than Lee. Jesus, you remember what I did? Lee didn't do that. And we're like constantly, I'm going to be on his right hand. You're going to be on his left hand. I'm greater than you. And Jesus, who's the best? And I want to be with, I want to be the man in your kingdom. I want to be your go-to guy. And then they started fighting with themselves as to who was really the great. Jesus is dying tomorrow. And this is what his men are doing. They're fighting with each other. Who's better? Who's better? And they're building up a resistance against each other. And so there was an event that happened that night while they were all sitting at the table. And the event was this that without saying a word, Jesus gets up from the table and he goes to the corner of the room and he picks up a bowl and a towel and he went around the table and he started to wash the disciples' feet. He wanted to clean them. He even got on his knees in front of Judas and washed his feet. And Jesus was able to say, I loved you to the end. That was the one thing nobody could say about Jesus. He didn't love me could say that. I loved you to the end. But the most significant thing that I'm here to do is tomorrow. And Jesus did not tell the disciples, all right, this is the deal about foot washing. As often as you do it, remember me he knew we're not going to wash feet he knew it but what are you going to do every day you're going to eat every day you're going to eat so he took the cup and he took the bread and he broke that bread and he said this is my body which is given for you as often as you eat this remember me and he took the cup and he said this is my blood I don't deserve to die I didn't do anything wrong I did everything right this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. As often as you drink the cup, you remember me until I come back. And every day we would eat and break bread to remember Jesus. All oh, that you and I would remember that throughout all of the centuries of mankind, God in his infinite heart longing to show man how much he loves him was only able to completely disclose it through his only begotten son. And John said in his epistle when God wanted to manifest love and he wanted to put love on display. When he wanted to wrap love in flesh. So nobody would ever again question what it is. It was Jesus. God's only begotten son. Given. So we can live. And John said this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he was the sacrifice for our offenses. Beloved, if God so loved us, shouldn't we love each other? Shouldn't we forgive? Shouldn't we just take it? Do you really want them to pay for what they did to you? Do you want God to make you pay for what you did to him? Is it more blessed to give than to receive? Is there greater freedom in being able to forgive someone than there is in walking in bitterness towards someone? Not to love one another. It doesn't say God ought to love us this way. It's the only way God can love. But we can love differently than God, but we shouldn't. Not when we're the people who really have the power of God in our life. Now understand if you don't have the power of God in your life, understand. you can only do the abuse. But believers, come on guys we can do love. We can do forgiveness. I can take it. I can be defrauded. You know why? Because you can't really take my pearl from me. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Speak this morning to believers, to us. We're having a hard time doing something we know we need to do. I can tell you this that if you will come to God and make a Gethsemane, God will give you strength for a resurrection. I don't know how God does it, but I've watched him. I've watched him heal children who were sexually molested and defiled. I've watched him heal them in a moment. I've watched him heal the pain of betrayal in a moment I don't know how he does it but he does and the thing that we would say I can never do I've watched God do in me and you know he's done it in you so I want you to stand with me and I would like to invite any of you to come join me in this altar who cares what people think who cares what people see? but I want to have a heart of forgiveness and I want to have a heart of love you need to let go of some things this morning you can kneel here at this altar you take this communion with the Lord just come in fellowship with God come and be free just let it go you can tell God let it be a Gethsemane I don't know how to let go of this this hurts too much to let go of it just seems wrong God that I feel like they won't pay for what they did and you pour that out to God right now pour it out to Him but don't you leave till you're healed let the Holy Spirit come let the Holy Spirit soften up your heart and your spirit and your life and one day one day you're going to be given an opportunity demonstrate Jesus in a way that you will do more than if you preach to a million people. You're going to be given an opportunity to love an enemy. To do good to someone who's used you and to bless someone who's cursed you. And when you do that, you're more like Jesus than anything else you could ever do. These three, faith, hope, and love remain. But of these three, the greatest is love. Because however much hope you have, that does not make you like God. And however much faith you have, that does not make you like God. Because we do not say God is hope and God is faith. But when you love Then Someone can say That's what God's like For God Is love If you're here this morning And you have been living In the form of godliness You have no power You're miserable inside and out You're a nightmare to be around People are scared of you you're rude you're negative everything's wrong everything's bad everything's broken everybody's messed up I know you're tired of that I know you're tired of living that way it's time for you to shed take off the form of godliness and let the power of God come into your life let him set you free But you can love God more than you love yourself. You can love people more than you love yourself. You can love God more than you love pleasure. God does it. But he'll do it for you. For such were some of us. But we are washed. We are sanctified. We are justified by the Spirit of God. He'll do the same for you. Ask Him right now. Would you wash me? Would you wash me from this? I have walked trying, but I've become more mean, more angry, more bitter. I don't want to be like this. You wash me by the Spirit of God. You saved me, Jesus to just pretend to be a Christian. I want Christ to step inside of me and live. Live in my heart, my mind, my thoughts. Give me a new spirit, a new heart, a new life. Don't let me die this way. Don't let me die this way, God. Save me, Jesus. Save me. Oh, and if you pray that and you mean that, God looks upon you with compassion. He is the forgiving God and the loving God, and He loves you. He went to the cross for you, not when you loved Him, but when you didn't love Him. He loves you. So continue to surrender to Him right now. We're going to sing, we're going to worship. You let go, just let go of it right now, in the name of Jesus. You have authority and you have power as a believer to let it go. To take it. To be defrauded. To trust God. To receive the reward of resurrection. in what was meant to kill you. Let it go. It's not your job to make the other person right. It is yours to be at peace with all men as far as it's possible with you. It's God's job to deal with people. Let him deal with you. Let's worship.